Will you turn with me once again to the 12th chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews, verses 1 to 4. And with your New Testament open before you, let us just pause a moment for a prayer. <clears throat> o Master, Lord, open thou our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy word, because we ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. <clears throat> the verses before us in Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, present one of the most vivid challenges of all apostolic exhortations. It's a challenge to living and endeavor, such as we seldom find throughout the whole of the New Testament. Many of you will know that this epistle was first addressed to a society of Jews scattered throughout Asia, and it may have been even Rome, who were under fire of per persecution. They'd been deprived of their goods and their homes, and many of them were faltering and failing. Many of them were wondering whether the Christian life was worthwhile at all. Should they go back or should they go on? And whoever this inspired writer is to the Hebrews challenges them to run the race that is set before them. And my beloved people here, and all radio listeners today, I want to say that as we commence this ministry together, and I underline that word together, the vision that God has given me for this morning address is the vision of a race. It suggests a goal, a purpose, a direction, sacrifice, everything flung into going through with God to the winning post. And my call to you all today is to run with me the race that is set before us. There are four salient thoughts I want to draw to your attention as we study this passage together. Will you follow me then? The first is this, the instructions for the race. The instructions for the race. In verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us the instructions are twofold the first is disciplined elimination disciplined elimination let us lay aside every weight and the sin in the Grecian games to which the writer refers here all bodily unwieldiness had to be laid aside by a disciplinary diet, by hard exercise, by sacrifice. And indeed, these contestants never worried about sacrifice. Why? Why? Because of the joy, the compensating joy and honor of winning the race. Beloved people, I want to say this. It's just the same in the Christian race, even though it costs the compensating honor and joy of winning is far greater than any sacrifice we can put into this running. We are to lay aside anything calculated to impede our progress as we move down the center of God's will in this race to the finishing line. That wonderful saint of God, J. Wilbur Chapman, used to say, the rule that governs my life is this, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study 
or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me and as a Christian I must turn away from it. How better could we define weights? I repeat, how better could we define weights? I love that graphic picture in the Gospel of St. Mark where blind Bartimaeus sits begging. He hears that the Savior is coming down the pathway. He cups his hands and he cries, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. We read that Jesus stood still and commanded that he should come to him. And then these dramatic words follow. And he, casting aside his garment, rose and came to Jesus. There was nothing intrinsically wrong with those garments. Many a time they had kept him warm in cold nights and cold days. But lest that garment should impede his progress in coming to Jesus, he cast it aside. I believe God is calling us here this morning to face this challenge of anything that might impede us as we start this race together through to the purpose of God. You know what the weight is in your life. I know what the weight may be in my life. Are we prepared to cast it aside? I'll never forget that glorious moment in a great rally in Birmingham, England, when a young man came up to me after a consecration service, and with eyes aglow, he looked into my face and he said, Stephen Olford, Stephen Olford, tell me, what can I cut out of my life to be the better for God? I want to go right through with God. I felt I wanted to throw my arms around him and hug him. So often it's the grumble. Have I got to give up this? Have I got to lay that down? But here was a young man who was saying, Tell me, tell me, I pray you, what can I cut out of my life to be the better for God? I want to go right through with God. Can you give me that answer? Let us cast aside our weights that we may run the race swifter and better for God. But you notice the apostle says not only the weights, but the sin, the sin that doth so easily beset us. There are those who believe that this sin is the evil nature within us, and I doubt not that there is a measure of truth in that. There are those who interpret this text as saying that the weight is that which leads us into a sin. In other words, the sin is the result of the weight causing us to drift farther and farther away from God. I doubt not again that this may be true in interpretation. But my own judgment is that the writer here has one specific sin before him. He's dealt with it already in the preceding chapters. Indeed, it's a burden in his writing, particularly chapter 4. And it is also a sin which he sets in contrast to the great chapter 11, where he's elevated faith to that high position of victory in Christ. And he talks about the faith that wins right through. What is the sin? I believe it's the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. He's treated it again and again and again through the preceding chapters. And he says, having laid aside the weights, lay aside the sin also which doth so easily beset us. And my beloved people, there is nothing that trips us over in the race more quickly than unbelief. How easily it besets us. How easily it ties us down so that we can't run as we ought. 
And I want to say very solemnly here on this first Sunday morning of my ministry, if there is one thing that's going to smash the ministry, if there's one thing that's going to impede progress, if there's one thing that's going to hold us back from going through with the whole will of God, it'll be the sin of unbelief. Even the mighty Son of God could do no great miracles in certain towns and villages because of their unbelief. Let us lay it aside. Let us with discipline and with severity deal with anything that might feed or foster unbelief in any one of our hearts. If there is unbelief lurking in your heart this morning, my beloved friend, will you bow your head right now in the presence of God and say, Oh God, by thy mighty word and spirit, slay it. Let it not live. Let it not live. Instructions for the race. Disciplined elimination. The weights, the sin, must be laid aside. But the second instruction for the race is disciplined endurance. Or if you prefer, determined endurance. Let us run with patience. The Greek has it, let us run with persevering endurance. The word used here for race is an interesting one. Here are the comparative English words. It denotes agony, struggle, exertion, anguish. And the teaching, my dear friends, is clear. The race that is set before us demands all we have. All we have. Faith mustn't be just a momentary burst of emotional enterprise. Faith must be something which carries us around the first lap and the second lap and the third lap right through to the finishing post. Further down in the chapter you notice the writer reminds us that our Lord Jesus Christ endured the cross despising the shame. He withstood every sin and never once deviated from the divine track. He resisted even unto blood, striving against sin. Says the apostle, consider him, consider him. And when agony, when anguish, when exertion, when sacrifice is called forth from us, consider him. My beloved people, in an age when we're absolutely engulfed in comfort, when every gadget has been produced to make life easier, when we're carried in the vortex of a materialistic age which moves us on and on and we become soft and comfortable, oh, that God may break through to our lives with this principle of the cross which accepts sacrifice. Determined endurance. Seneca says, the athlete who once has seen his own blood goes down to encounter with greater hope. One of the mighty missionaries who made an impact on my beloved father who's in heaven today once said to him as he plowed through the thick jungles of Africa, brother, remember this, there is no danger in the path of duty. There is no danger in the path of duty. And that same beloved father inculcated into me as a young man words that I shall never forget right throughout eternity. He said, remember this, my boy, determination, not desire, controls our destiny. Determination, not desire, controls our destiny. Determined endurance. What are the instructions for the race? Disciplined elimination. Lay aside every weight, every sin. Determined endurance, 
let us run with persevering endurance the race that is set before us. But with these instructions, I want you to notice in the second place the inspiration for the race. My, this verse just thrills my soul this morning. For God has given me in prayer a wonderful vision again of the meaning of this text in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Of course, the image used is from the arena where the spectators pressed around to see the contestants fighting or running for the prize. And undoubtedly, the writer to the Hebrews is thinking of those wonderful, wonderful men and women of chapter 11 of Hebrews. There they are, the named and unnamed heroes of faith, arrayed in the annals of history as an invisible cloud, all cheering us on. Go on, go on, go on. We've run, we've won. You go on. Think of them. If we only had time. Abel. Abel who ran the race of sacrifice and won it at the cost of his own life. Enoch. Enoch who won the race of life and won it even though the sentence of death had passed upon all men. He never died. He went home without death. Noah, Noah who ran the race of testimony and won it even though a whole world was against him. Moses, Moses who ran the race of endurance and won it even though it meant suffering affliction with the people of God. These men were subject to our passions, our difficulties, our temptations, but they won through. They won through. What an inspiration to all those of us who follow. And somehow or other I see around the parapets of heaven this morning as I look through by faith to that innumerable, invin invincible and invisible crowd of men who preached in this very pulpit right down through the hundred years. Those who made history from this very place at which I stand. Those who preached in the church that was Thousands of others too from every part of the earth who've won their race and they've gone through to their reward. And there they are there cheering us here at Calvary Baptist Church this morning. And they're crying out, go on, go on, go on, you'll win. What an inspiration, what an inspiration. Have you caught the thrill of it? Do you feel it in your soul as I do this morning? They're egging us on to win. And so we have the inspiration for the race here in verse 1. But with that inspiration we have the most, the most wonderful thought of all in the third place. It's the imitation for the race. The imitation for the race. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Notice the hour is in italics. It's understood but not in the Greek and there's a very significant reason for that. It's not our faith, but his faith made real in us as we look off unto him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Will you notice very carefully here as you study the word with me that while we derive inspiration from others, we imitate only one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We dare not imitate Abel. We can catch inspiration from him, but we dare imitate Abel. Why? Because he was a sinner, and we would have to sin as he did. We dare imitate Enoch. 
for though we know not very much about him, he was a human and he stumbled as all humans do. We daren't imitate Noah or we'd have to get drunk as he was once drunk, shamefully so, even after his wonderful experience in the ark. We daren't imitate Moses. Why? We should have to lose our temper as he lost his temper in a failing moment and never entered into the promised land. We could go right on with the list. We daren't imitate David, for even though he was a man after God's own heart, he committed murder. He committed immorality. We daren't imitate them. We can catch inspiration from them as we watch them running right down through history and eventually winning, but we daren't imitate them. There's only one we can imitate, and that is our blessed Lord, Jesus Christ. You look at me as your pastor here. You look at the officials of this church. You study them only a little while and you'll see flaws and failures. In all of us there are flaws and failures, but only in one is there absolute perfection, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So while we derive inspiration from those who have run, we imitate only one, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. In him there is no failure, there is no flaw, there is absolute perfection. And the text shows us here that as we look off to Jesus, we have first of all the right focus for running. The right focus for running, looking unto Jesus. That word look in its special construction here only occurs this once in the whole of the New Testament. And it means this, literally looking off unto Jesus. We take a glance at chapter 11 at those great witnesses, the cloud of them. We derive inspiration but only a glance and then we turn our gaze and focus on Jesus. We daren't wait with them, there are too many failures, but in him there's absolute perfection. And my beloved friends, the meaning of this word look has something more in it than that. The focus is such a fixed one that it obscures all other objects around. We were hearing so beautifully from our soloist this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, my people, here in church, over Radio Land, shall we refocus our gaze on Jesus, not on Stephen Olford, not on personalities, not on program, not even on this historic church, but today let us focus our gaze on Jesus. His name was John, a rough type. He'd been converted at an open-air meeting or a street meeting. He'd heard the voice of God almost in a drunken stupor one day, and he stepped forward and accepted Jesus Christ as his own personal savior. He joined a local Baptist church, and that dear fellow, that dear fellow, so went on with God, so went down deep into the world, that presently he was saving men and women right, left and center of him, leading them to Jesus Christ. He was preaching in the open air. He could expound the scriptures. His face was aglow and radiant with the glory of God. And some of the deacons and officers of that church went up to John several months later and they said, John, we just can't understand it. Some of us have been in the Christian way of life many, many, many years. But somehow you've outpaced us all. Somehow you're deeper in the word. 
You've led more souls to Christ than we have in all our lives. What's the secret of your life, John? What's the secret of your life? John thought for a moment and he said, Gentlemen, may I put it to you in an illustration? When I was unregenerate, an unconverted man, one of my favorite hobbies was racing greyhounds. I lived for the track. I knew too that my dogs could never run well unless they ate the right diet, unless they had the right exercise. And night by night as the sun sank down there in the west, I took my dogs out for exercise. And time and time again, he said, I would notice that those dogs' noses would go down and presently, instead of following me, they would be scrapping over some garbage or some dirty, putrid, stinking bone. And I would call to them. And I would name them. And I would say, eyes on me! Eyes on me! And their eyes would turn from that which was occupying their attention and they would follow me and soon we were past. And as long as I did that and kept them free from that sort of thing, they were progressing. They were winning races. Gentlemen, gentlemen, said John, may I say it kindly, may I say it lovingly, but may I say it with true conviction. When you people in the church learn how to keep your eyes on Jesus, focused on Jesus, instead of being occupied with the garbage of dissension and schism and splits, when you cease trying to fight for the bones of contention and spite and keep your eyes on Jesus, you too will go through with him. Looking off unto Jesus. The right focus for running. But I tell you something else that comes out of it. Not only the right focus for running, but the right faith for running. For as we look off unto Jesus, something happens in my heart. And I know it from experience. As I keep my eyes focused on him through my quiet times, through my devotion, through my prayer life, through my claiming of resources from him moment by moment, something happens in my heart. A faith begins to glow and to grow. Because let me remind you, only in Jesus has faith its full expression and its full realization. Look at your circumstances and faith staggers. Look at men and faith fails. Look at devils and faith trembles. But center your faith in Christ and all is well. Why? There is no breakdown in him. He has pioneered the way of faith. For he is the author and perfecter of faith. He has pioneered the way of faith through a world's sin, through death, through resurrection, through principalities and powers, right through to the throne of heaven itself. And he is there now at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm telling you young people, I'm telling you you older ones, and you beloved in the faith, hearing us over Radio Land today, focus your vision on Jesus and you'll discover a glowing and a growing faith within your heart. Hallelujah! What a Savior! The faith I want is the faith that's going to go through with God. Right through every obstructing obstacle. Right through to victory. But it's only as we keep our eyes on Jesus. So once again I say to you, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. A concluding thought, and it's this. Not only does this passage give us the instructions for the race, not only does this passage give us the inspiration for the race, not only does this blessed passage give us the imitation for the race, but this passage before us gives us the incentives for the race. The joy that was set before him. The Lord Jesus ran with patience the race that was set before him because of the joy. The joy that was set before him. What was that joy? Had we time to delve into the scriptures this morning, I could demonstrate to you that it was a twofold joy. First, the joy of doing the Father's will. And secondly, the joy of bringing many sons to glory, winning to himself men from every part of the world. A twofold joy. Let's put it this way. It was the joy of obedience, first. Secondly, the joy of recompense. First, the joy of obedience, doing the will of God. The Lord Jesus could say right through his life, I must be about my father's business. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And at the last he could say, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And as he hangs on Calvary's cross, it is finished. The Apostle Paul who followed in his trail says this during his life, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, and at the close of his life, just before he's decapitated on the borders of the great metropolis of Rome, he says, I have finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He had one through in obedience, the joy of obedience. My beloved people, you young folk here this morning, listen to me. There is nothing so wonderful in all the Christian experience as the joy of obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If the Savior should come today, if this should be the hour of his call to us all, I wonder what you'd say as you looked into his face. I remember sitting by the bed of a dying man who looked up, up into my eyes. He had just met Jesus Christ. I just led him to a saving knowledge of Christ on his dying bed. And he looked up and the tears poured from his eyes. And he said, Stephen, my brother, Stephen, my brother, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. But I'm ashamed to die. I'm ashamed to die. His life was wasted. Saved soul, wasted life. Are you prepared to be known by your life of obedience? Clean through to the very end. But there's something else. It's the joy of recompense. The joy of recompense. The joy that was set before my Savior was the joy of a smile of approval from his father's face. And declares the apostle, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. So run that ye may obtain. To run for the prize means running so as to influence others for Christ. Paul looked on to the end of his race and he could say concerning those at Thessalonica, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? 
Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? What's going to be the thrill of going to heaven, says the Apostle Paul? What's the happiest moment first to see my Savior's face and then to see the face of those I've won to Jesus Christ? I wonder, as I stand here this morning and I look at this great vast audience on the first Sunday of our ministry, if I asked you to stand to your feet at this moment and say, Stephen Ulford, I want to say that I'm going to rejoice in the presence of the Savior because I can call on those I've won to Jesus Christ. I know that I shan't stand in his presence empty-handed. I know that I shall be able to lay down sheaves at his pierced feet and say, There it is, Lord, all done for you. Take that with my worship and my love. Or I wonder if your language will be, Must I go and empty-handed thus to meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? The joy of recompense. Are you waiting for that reward? Or will your expression be one of shame? Will your heart fail you in that day when you look into those eyes that are full of disappointment? And you'll have to put down before him the charred embers of a wasted life and say, Lord, I've got nothing for you. Nothing at all. The race before us. Here are the instructions to heed. Disciplined elimination. Determined endurance. The inspiration to receive. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Moses and the myriads of others who've won through. Here is the imitation to follow. Just one and one only in the universe. Even our matchless, glorious, blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Looking off unto Jesus. The right focus for running. The right faith for running. Here my beloved friends and fellow members is the incentives to value and to hold. What are they? The joy of obedience. The joy of recompense. I'm going to ask you here this morning on this very first Sunday of the ministry and you away there on Radio Land listening in your car it may be some hospital bed some home it may be away out there on the beach, wherever it is. I want to ask you here this morning, are you prepared to take your stand with me as we run the race before us? Are you prepared to grip my hand as I grip yours and we run together that we may win together? Are you prepared to say spirit, soul and body is yielded to this and those bones of contention, those things that have kept our eyes down instead of up, those things that have held us back in backsliding, those things that have divided us and spoiled us, member against member, person against person, are now going to be thrown behind us. They're not going to be dug up. They're not going to be discussed again. They're behind us. And forgetting those things which are behind, covered under the blood of Christ, by confession and repentance and obedience, we're going right through together, even to the winning post. Are you prepared to do that? Are you? Will you tell God so as we close in a moment in prayer? Will you do so as you yield your life?
totally unreservedly to the claims and challenge of Jesus Christ. My beloved friends, will you do it? Then and only then will you be able to say and read and mean and sing the words of that closing hymn we shall announce in just a moment. Run the straight race through God's good grace. Lift up thine eyes and seek his face. Life with its way before thee lies. Christ is its path and Christ its prize. Let us pray together. May I ask everyone to bow quietly before God. This is a moment of tremendous import. Let there be no restlessness or irreverence or even wandering of mind. God has held us still in his presence and the hush of eternity is upon us. Oh, my beloved friends, as you and I look back upon our lives, what wandering there's been. What failing in the race. But here today, in this very moment of consecration and challenge, God has called us to yield our lives afresh, to determine to focus our eyes on Jesus and go through. Will you follow me in this prayer in the silence of your heart? Will you make it your response? Lord Jesus, here and now I dedicate my life afresh to thee. Cleanse me from my sin, from every weight that holds me back. I focus afresh my eyes on thee and in wholehearted endeavor and determination will go through with thee, cost what it will. For thy dear name's sake, amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.